Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. This week we are going to be reviewing Return to Dark Tower, which I'm super excited to talk about. We're also going to be discussing Wormholes, which is a brand new game by AEG. And then in the discussion topic, we're finally doing it. We're figuring out why Natasha hates fantasy (laughs) and why she enjoys science fiction. I don't know why she has, she's a curmudgeon like that, but we're going to figure it out. (laughs) And we actually have a special guest that's going to be joining us in that particular segment. But before we get into some reviews, I know Natasha had a couple games she wanted to talk about. So what have you been playing? Yeah, I played this really cute kids game that I played it with adults only and it was a lot of fun. It's called Face de Bac, B-O-U-C. It's French. It's not in English. Um, but the, it's just a deck of cards and on each card is just a, a goofy little drawing of a monster, like a kid's uh, kids drawing. It's like a little friendly monster. They all look unique and fun, um, funny. And um, you, you flip over the card and if you haven't seen the monster yet, then you name it. You can name it whatever you want, and then then the next person flips over a card. If it's one that has already been named, then you have to shout out the name, and you get the pile of cards. If not, then you have to name it. So it's just it's really just goofy fun. I love just remembering the these monsters' names, and we had so much fun playing it. If you, it's I think it's only sold in France, maybe I don't know, but if you can get your hands on it, it's just like a cute little tin. You know, small card game is probably $10 or I guess it'd be like 11 pounds or something like that. Um, but highly recommend it. Kids game, but still fun. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And then we also played the new Oink game. This one's Order Overload Cafe. And it's a, also a memory style game. It's a deck of cards and each card has a an um, item on it, just a name of an item. Uh, so it's cafe themed. So they're all cafe items. So the first round, you draw one card per player, and then you read it off. So you have like four, so you have like four cards if you're playing four people, and it might be like iced coffee, hot latte, apple pie, and orange juice. You know, might be the four items, and you pass out the cards, and then you have to name an item that you don't have, and so you try to you try to remember the items that were listed. And you know if, if at least two people run out of cards, so in the first round, everyone has one card. So you only need to name two items and you win. It's really easy. But then the next round, every, there's two cards per person. And then it just builds up. So by the time you play like the fourth round, there's four cards per person. And you have to try to remember at least enough cards to get two people to uh, play all their cards. And you can't list any items that you have in your hand. So it ends up just being just goofy, nonsense fun. We had a lot of fun playing it. And that's Order Overload Cafe, the new Oink game. Nice. That sounds pretty awesome, too. That uh, that one naming the monsters or whatever, uh-huh. I can just see that being fun, especially if you're with a group of adults having a few beverages and just kind of like hanging out or whatever. Yeah, because the names get super silly. Like we had like... What was the silliest name? I want to know the silliest name you guys came up with. I don't, I don't even remember. We had like Mr. Limes... And, you know, you have to say it correct. And then everyone started saying Mr. You know, whatever else there was, there was another name. I'm like, nope, that one's not Mr. It was just goofy and silly. And, you know, you shout the wrong name. It was it was a good time. That sounds fun. It, mm-hmm. I think that's one of those games, too. If you have, you know, you're with a group of creative people, that can be a really good time. 
Yeah, even if you're not creative, like I'm not creative at all. So I came up with like super basic names and everyone else was really funny. What was your names that you came up with? Oh, I don't know. Remember, I think I had Henry and and Mr. Longlegs or something. I don't know. Or wow, that's really silly original. stuff. Yeah. yeah, I'm not creative. I'm not good at that. <laughs> but other people had funny names. Nice. That's and awesome. And then I imagine next time you play, like all the jokes come back and they're slightly different names. But you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Sounds like fun. All right. So I've been putting off this review for a little bit because I wanted to make sure I got enough plays in and. My wife and I have been playing the heck out of this game, so it's time to talk about Return to Dark Tower. This is an app-driven cooperative game designed by Isaac Childress and Rob Davio, published by Restoration Games. In this game, players are the heroes of the Four Kingdoms, and they will join forces to defeat the adversary of the Dark Tower. So Return to Dark Tower is actually the sequel to the 1981 game Dark Tower. First and foremost, this game is app-driven. So the app controls quite a few things about what happens in the game. And in order to start a new game, the players decide need to decide a few things. First is the type of main goal they want to play. This will typically determine how players will release the adversary out of the tower. Next, they will choose three different foes and one adversary to play against. Once players have made their, their selections, the app will instruct them on how to set up the board. After the board is set up, players begin by taking their turns. Each turn follows the same sequence, where at the start of their turn, a player will take their individual banner action, which is different for each character and provides a special benefit. The middle of the turn can be played out in uh, in any sequence the player wants. So there's three things you can do in that. The first is you can move up to three spaces, or technically six, but you have to pay to double your movement. Then you can take a heroic action, and finally, you can take the reinforce action. And I say you can do this in any sequence, so for example, you could move one space take a heroic action, move two spaces, and take a reinforce action. You can move three spaces and do both actions. So it's kind of up to the players. There are three heroic actions you can take. The first is cleanse, which removes skulls from the board. The next they can do is battle any foes on the board. And the last thing they can do is they can quest, which the app determines quests each new month the players are playing. Players will take different reinforce actions based on the buildings that they're at. For example, if they reinforce at the Citadel, they can gain a potion or they can pay spirit to gain a virtue, which is an additional power. Finally, at the end of this turn, they take a skull and drop it in the tower, which the app recognizes and may reveal events or have a foe's attack. This play continues until the players have defeated the adversary or one of several defeat conditions are met. Players will lose if they run out of time. Each game is six months, but the amount of turns in each month varies. If they need to drop a skull and there are none left, or if they gain a third corruption, which are negative conditions that players can receive during the game. I think what makes this game awesome is how well they have managed to capture the Dark Tower experience, but still make it modern and fun to play. What makes well, So what makes it modern? Did the app, besides the app, obviously that's modern. Well, the biggest thing is they updated it to mechanics that we're familiar with, and they've streamlined some of the gameplay. So... First of all, it's a cooperative game as opposed to a uh, competitive game. Granted, you can play it competitive, but I haven't played it competitive. I've only played it cooperative. So whereas the original Dark Tower game was completely competitive, you were trying to enter in the Dark Tower and defeat the Dark Tower. And like now you're trying to you know, release the adversary as a group and then defeat the adversary. So one of the other things is specifically within the tower, So in the original game, the tower is pretty basic. 
you had some buttons or whatever and it had an algorithm that it would go through but with this tower it has moving pieces it has little doors that you're going to remove it connects to the app so every time you drop a skull it recognizes it if a skull drops out in your area it can destroy buildings which leads to corruption they just have this way of taking what dark tower originally made you feel with that adventure style game and just bringing it forward to mechanisms and game flow that we recognize today i know this was a kickstarter game is it coming to retail can people buy it i believe it is i know they just ran a second printing of it and my Mm -hmm. understanding is it's supposed to but i don't know if it's actually hit any sort of retail markets yet it's like the edition i have is a kickstarter edition so i don't know if it's actually made its way there but yeah i'd be surprised if it didn't considering how popular it's become I mean, they did the same thing with Fireball Island. You know, they they did a Kickstarter with that, and that ended up going into retail. I know. So the, the biggest thing with this game is it's not necessarily super in-depth, complex, compet- uh, cooperative game like, let's say, a Spirit Island. Spirit mm-hmm. Island, there's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of complexity to it. This game doesn't necessarily do that, but they do some they do some nice things. So... Obviously, on a player's turn, it's it's fairly basic. You take a banner action, which gives you stuff, and each character gets you something different. So you could play the Brutal Warlord, and he gives you uh, warriors, or you could play the Scion, which gives you spirit, which are both currencies in the game. And the way the app takes on completing quests and, and battling foes is an advantage system. So the way this works is every month the game will say you have these two quests. One of them is usually a quest that will gain you some sort of benefit, like a companion, and then the other one is a quest against the tower. And if you don't complete that quest, bad things happen. And when you go in the quest, they might say, all right, you're going to go through this this tomb, which you need undead advantages. And then the characters will have items or specific things on their sheet. They're going to say plus one undead advantage. So what you do is you go into that dungeon, you click on the app, I want to go in this room, and it's going to say something like, lose 10 warriors. But then you can hit your advantage, and then it's going to say, all right, I use my one undead advantage, so now instead of losing 10 warriors, you lose 5. And if you have additional ones, you can hit it again and say, all right, you don't have any losses, you actually find a potion. So it has a unique way of using this advantage system to the essentially cards or rooms on the app so when you battle foes they usually have a deck of cards and you pick a couple cards depending on the level of the the foe and then you have to go through them and then again different foes are going to have different advantages so you might do like the shadow wolves are beast and stealth so if you have beast advantage and stealth advantage you can use it against that click on the card it says to do something if you don't want to do it you just keep hitting the amount of advantages that you want until you defeat the defeat the foe or complete the quest, that kind of thing. I I think that advantage system is actually pretty neat because then you can buy treasure items and you can buy gear that give you the different advantages. Sometimes you get wild advantages based on the certain things that you do. I think it's a really interesting system. I don't think it's the most complex, like I said. Like something mm-hmm. like Spirit Island, there's so many more moving pieces, so many other things to worry about. This almost feels more like we have only so much time. It has this tension of saying, all right, this month that we're only going to have like six turns, we need to accomplish these things. How can we accomplish these things in these six turns? And every decision you make is like, is it worth me doing this as a overdoing this? If the month ended right now, would it be okay that I didn't do this and I did this? Is there a lot of tension? 
Yes. So that's the biggest thing is, okay, we only have so many turns left, you know, and there's an average. So some months will be four turns. Some months could be eight. It just kind of depends. And as you're going through it, you're like, all right, you know, I I really want to complete this tower quest, but I don't know if I have enough time to do that and defeat this minion. Because you want to make sure you're defeating these foes so they get off the board so they're not doing negative things to you, but you also want to progress the story. And the overall objective is releasing the main adversary so then you can defeat the adversary. Mm. It's, it's just, it's really interesting. I I like the fact that it's not super complicated, but it still provides tension. It's still, and, and maybe for me specifically, it tugs on those nostalgia str- strings of me playing Dark Tower with, you know, my buddy. Like that was our game growing up. We played it a ton. Well, Ashley liked it and she didn't play, she didn't grow up playing Dark Tower, did she? No, she did not. And that's the the other thing I wanted to bring up is I've been playing this mostly exclusively with my wife and w- she's even said like this might be one of her top games. She just really has enjoyed the experience of it. So yeah, I definitely, wow. yeah, I really like this game. I'm I'm glad I got it. I know they just did a second printing. I'm probably going to pick up the other expansion. I Yeah, it's really good. I would re- definitely recommend this game. If you like the original Dark Tower or even app-driven co-op games, I think it integrates with the app well. I think the app handles the minutia of things that you don't have to handle, and then you can still physically do whatever it is you need to do and still make your decisions. I mean, I give this game an 8 out of 10. I'm enjoying it. Um, I know we've played it a ton since I brought it out. We Honestly, we just leave it set up on my gaming table, and we've just been playing the heck out of it. So that is Return to Dark Tower. Next up, I want to talk about Wormholes, which is a pickup and deliver uh, space game designed by Peter McPherson, art by Karen Wong, and published by AEG. In this game, players are captains of passenger spaceships equipped with wormhole fabricators. They are picking up passengers and dropping them off using wormholes they create or even their rivals' wormholes. So Wormholes is a game that is played over an undetermined amount of rounds, The game ends when players have exhausted this exploration stack. This is a stack of point tokens awarded to players who reach planets first. There are several ways you can score points in the game. First is by discovering those planets, taking those point tokens off that exploration stack. Next, each time one of your opponents uses one of your wormholes, you gain points. Each passenger you drop off is worth two points, and you gain three points per planet you've delivered to beyond five. On a player's turn, they get three energy tokens to move their ship, which is usually one ener- one space is one energy, but that is not necessarily always the case. They also get a few free actions. The first and probably the most important is placing a wormhole token. Each player will start the game with a stack of these tokens. There are 10 tokens. There are two ones, two twos, two threes, and so on. And when you place your second to- token of that number, you have created a wormhole, which can expedite your travel. And this is usually another free action you can take, which is warping through a wormhole. You can also drop off passengers if you're adjacent to the planet they want. And finally, you can use a map feature. These are individual spaces on the board, and they provide different benefits. Once per turn, players can collect passengers if they are adjacent to a planet. And play continues this way until that exploration stack is depleted, and then the player with the most points wins. I think what makes this game interesting is... It's a pick-up-and-deliver game, but you're creating your own paths with these wormholes in order Mm -hmm. to drop off passengers efficiently. It's about being efficient in this game. Yeah, yeah, you've got this 
you know, randomly drawing these cards and you want to get those cards to that planet. That's all you're, you want to do. You draw a pink pl- card, you want to go to the pink planet, drop off that passenger. And you can get a lot of points with those cards. So you don't want to discard them and try to like draw to get the plants you want. You really want to be able to move around the board and just drop off whatever you got. And you need to use those wormholes. But you can also, if people are using your wormholes, get points for that. And so managing to set up these wormholes in a way that you can kind of bounce around the board really easily is is the goal of the game. It's really it's really different, I think. Kind of has unique. a very yeah, it definitely has a unique feel with dropping off those wormholes. Because the thing is, it's not like you can create new wormholes everywhere. Mm-hmm. So the wormhole tokens are in a stack. You can't move into wormhole your second set of wormholes tokens until you've placed two of your ones. Mm-hmm. so it's not like you can set one up here and then say all right i'm gonna put my two here for later on no you have to create wormholes in that sequence you have to create your first wormhole then your second and then your third you're not mm-hmm. able to like jump around so there's that little bit of restriction as to where you're going to place them and how you're going to create them essentially yeah yeah and then you can only transfer like around your one to one you know your two goes to two and your three goes to three so it's not like you can go from three to one, you know, you've, so you've got some restrictions there with your movement, but everybody else is placing wormholes too. So you can use theirs. Well, well, the detriment to you because you're giving them points. I know like the you first are. game we played, uh, I just created my wormholes in such a way that you and Jeremy were just like using them to just get to these plants and dropping off. And every time you used them, I gained a point. Mm-hmm. which for me added up to quite a few points. I ended up getting like seven or eight points just off of that. Yeah, yeah. Did you win though? I did. Oh. Yep. All right, well then, never mind. <laughs> you guys gave me that victory is what Probably, happened. yeah. Well, that was our first game. We didn't know better. <laughs> you didn't know to stop me from doing that? Yeah. Well, no, we needed to use it. I just needed to spread it out. I think I think this game's going to get better the more you play it, the more more you can be strategic with your wormholes but it's also really quick like you can you can um play a really quick game you know once everyone gets to all the planets then the timer you know we only have like three or four turns left so it's it moves at a brisk pace although i did play it at five players and it felt really long i didn't feel near as brisk and i felt long because you know each turn is like a minute or two so you're waiting a decent amount of time for everyone to take their turns and that was kind of annoying so i wouldn't recommend it at a larger player count was it just the fact that the wait between turns was too long or the yeah. game itself cuz the game's listed at like 45 to 60 minutes and i know the first game we played which was three player was Quick. fast i mean we probably were done with that in 20 minutes mm-hmm. 30 minutes like it was fast a lot faster than i really wanted by the time it felt like by the time i built my system that i wanted the game was done yeah it was or it was fast. just it, at that point it was like all right the game is and i would say that would be my one critique for me personally is it was too fast for me i'd rather have the game last a little bit longer so i felt like i could do more you know mm-hmm. it felt like i was i just got to the point where i'm like sweet now i can really start doing stuff Yep. And it was and like game's done. Game's done. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So it was the 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 drag with the five players was waiting for everyone to take their turn. You know, okay. it 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 was too long between my turn and my next turn. It felt long. You know, the whole game itself was fine. It was probably about less than an hour long game, but it still felt like I just waited for my turn to come around. For as light as the game was, I felt like I did a lot of waiting. 
I do want to touch on the artwork real quick because I really liked it. I thought the artwork was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the planets look cool. They just have the, a very nice aesthetic. Those uh, wormhole tokens are chunky plastic. Yep. Um, it just overall, it had a really was nice. Yeah, it had a really nice, cool feel to it. It's modular. So every time you play, it's going to be a different board and a lot of obstacles in different places. Which I think is the only real reason why this game's going to maintain replayability is obviously that module board. Like you need to do something, but having just a just a regular, essentially pick up and deliver game without creating that module modularity, you're not going to be able to continue playing it because it's just going to become so samey. Like people mm-hmm. are going to figure out the best routes to take, and if you're first, this is your first move, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, that, this board really changes it up, and there's a lot of obstacles on each of the boards and, and some spaces that do special things, which makes it unique. And, yeah, planets are in different spots. Yeah, sometimes planets get cut off, and there's only really one way to get to them. And, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it, it is interesting. Do you Overall, do you like pick-up-and-deliver games? Um, Not really, but I haven't played that many. So I'm trying to think of what else. Maglove, Metro, we played a demo copy of that, and I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, I can't think of any other pickup and deliver games I've played. Yeah, I've done a couple, and it's one of those like genres or mechanics that is not super high up for me. You know, no. it just because a lot of times it it's very simplistic. There seems to like, all right, I'm gonna go here and you know pick this guy up, and then I'm gonna go over there and drop him off, and then I'm gonna go here pick this person up. But this one has a nice little twist to it. I do enjoy that. Um, like uh. Uh, get on board or let's make a bus route. I think that's part of the reason why that game specifically doesn't appeal to me that much. I think it part of it is just the fact that it's, you know, basically you're going around picking up passengers, dropping them off. It's very like basic in that terms, like the, the route building's okay. You know, that kind of thing. I know I like that one. You love that one. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? You don't like it. You love it. I do. I love it. I played it yeah. this weekend. It was good. I bet you did. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, with this in particular, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was I thought it had a nice little take on the pickup deliver system with the wormholes. It got to a point towards the end too that I was just trying to churn through the passenger deck mm-hmm. because I had built a system around I think four planets. And when you drop passengers off, you can pick passengers up. So you get a hand size of, I believe, five. So you draw cards up to whatever remaining in your hand size. But if you draw the planet you're on, you have to discard that because you can't deliver to the same planet. That would just be ridiculous. But what I was trying to do is I was trying to draw the cards that were the planets on the system I had created. And then the other thing you can do is when you drop passengers off, you can discard the cards you don't want. So you can get rid of like those cards that you don't have any connection to. So it was one of those things that towards the end too of that game, I just started trying to churn through that deck and collect as many passengers that were in my system route as I possibly could. Cause I could get to certain planets pretty quick. So I was just trying to, I didn't even care about getting past five. I was just kind of do my thing and try to get to those planets. So there, it felt like there's a little bit of luck involved to it, you know? Yeah. You can either, you set up a route like you did with four planets and try to get cards that go to each of those planets, or you can try to set up a route through the whole game and just drop off whatever you get in your hand. Yeah. Just being efficient. It's all about being efficient. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I'd be willing to keep playing it because I think there's a little bit more to discover with the game. Um, I liked how quick and simple it was. And knowing that how quick and simple it was, that kind of is going to change my strategy. You know, that it went a lot faster than I thought it was going to. Um, I appreciate it. I think it looks great. 
you know, I don't think it's anything amazing, you know. What would you rate it? Uh, I think I would rate it a seven out of ten. I'm giving the game a six. I mm-hmm. and I think part of it is just the fact that it's you know it's it's a little too fast for what I want, and it's a pick up and deliver game at its heart. And I'm not it's not my most favorite thing. Yeah. So that's fair. I'd still recommend giving it a try if you're interested in it, though. I think it's definitely worth playing at least. Yeah, if you like pick up, I would, you know, if you like pick up and deliver games, I think this one's interesting. If that's mm-hmm. your if that's your style of game that you enjoy, I think this is one of those games that you probably like. Mm-hmm. A little bit of route building in yep. it too. Yep, like that. Create your that own space. system of routes. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is uh, wormholes. All right. Next up, I want to talk about what I've been watching. Natasha I, recommends. I recommend. Um, it's a TV show on Netflix called Never Have I Ever. Have you heard of it, Bob? No. Nope. You haven't even heard of it? Never have I. I've heard the game Never Have I Ever. I mean, it's I played a, that when I was like a kid. But. <laughs> it's a teen show. It's about a girl that's in high school. Um, produced by M- Mindy Kaling, and she's really funny. I like her a lot, so I had to watch it. I've heard good things about it. It's got three seasons now. They're gonna, they're gonna come out with a fourth and final one next year. I think they've already filmed it. And it's a, it's a stupid teen show with a, with a girl who makes a lot of stupid mistakes, and it, it's certainly nothing unique with the plot or anything. But the writing's really good. The characters are really good. Um, it's really you know kind of feels fresh and and unique, and and it's got a really diverse cast, and it really leans into a lot of. Um, the what it's like so the main character is indian her um parents moved to america and then she was born in america um so it, it you know it leans into her culture and her identity and what it's like to to be a uh an indian american and you know i thought i thought it was really really good and and i've noticed that there's a lot of more um tv shows that are more diverse you know i know growing up in the 90s we really watched shows about about white families and you know we had a couple that were about black families you know and and that was kind of it that was it you know yeah. and now to see yep. a lot more diversity and and the show is you know the, the plot i don't know if you don't like teen shows about high school you're probably not gonna like it but but um you know if you do like it it's it's good it, it's it's fresh and the writing's good and and it's funny to watch and you know I, I liked the the culture and the diversity within it the best. I think it's got, um, it's just you know offers a lot of um, exposure. I think and and seeing things that I don't typically see in TV shows, and I really really enjoyed it. That's cool. Yeah, I can't wait for the fourth season. So I'd give it a try if you, if you, if it interests you at all. <laughs> That's fair. Not for everybody. I uh I do have something to bring up in this particular segment. Of okay. Recommending outside of board games. The new season of Bluey is out. And if you have kids that watch cartoons, <laughs> ah, Bluey, so What's good. Bluey? You've, oh my God, you have never watched Bluey? It's an Australian uh, cartoon about this family of dogs. It's, it's, uh, Bluey's the main character and she has a sister, Bingo. And then it's mom and dad, mum, mum and dad. Ah, if you have kids and you want, and you know about Bluey, Man, the new season, mm, good. Bluey is one of those shows that they specifically have made for adults and that kids watch. It's it's definitely one of those shows. And then the other thing is I started watching Sandman. Uh, do you know about this? Mm-mm. I haven't heard of that one. I, I just recently started watching that. I watched the first episode. It's it's interesting. So 
this like cult essentially traps the uh, traps the sandman for like a hundred years so then people are like uh, don't wake up from sleep or they can't sleep that kind of thing and the sandman has created this realm and it, it goes to ruins and he's trying to rebuild it and that kind of thing it's based off a comic book and I've, like I said, I've only watched the first episode, but I'm really interested to see how it goes. It seems darker than I would have thought originally, but mm. yeah. So I'll report. So Bluey back. or Sandman, huh? Yeah, the two opposite ends of the spectrum. You're either watching. You sit down with your kids or- and watch them both. <sighs> I don't know if I'd watch Sandman with kids. <laughs> so somebody asked me the other day if uh, they should let their 14 year old watch it, and I'm like, ah, man, I don't know. Maybe I've only watched the one episode, and it's. Like it's a little darker than I would have thought, but it's so hard to know in that in that that kid range, like what kids can watch. It's it's so personal preference, I think. Yeah, pretty much. But Bluey, on the other hand, ah, Bluey, so well done. My God, <laughs> I, I love so that you, show so much. I love it so much. When people so are, like, are you recommending that we with the, those without young children sit down and watch it? You know what? I if any, I would say is if you have kids at all, if you like, even if your kids are older. And uh-huh. you'd watch Bluey, you would just, I think you would find it hysterical. My wife and I both loved to watch it. We sat down with our daughter and we watched, we started binge watching the new new season. And <laughs> my wife at one point looked at me and she's like, they didn't make this for kids. They made it for adults. Imagine, you know how every Disney movie or Pixar movie has those little things in them that are, this joke is for adults only. Kids aren't mm-hmm. going to get it, but it's for adults. Mm-hmm. That's almost like what Bluey is. It's just a bunch of like adult humor and just, <laughs> uh, it's so good. It's so well done. I love Bluey. But for kids, but still for yeah, kids. It's not tec- like a Bob's tec- Burgers that's really for adults. It's te- No, it's technically a TV show for kids. My daughter, Lila, is loves it like, watching um, it. Is it like My Little Pony where it's like a good quality kids show, but it's still for kids, but people, but adults can be into it? Are you like a brony, but a Bluey? I'm a, I'm uh. I'm a bl- I'm I'm a bluey. I would say <laughs> the thing is, it's it's hard because like my daughter watched uh, My Little Pony along for quite a few years. She hasn't watched it recently, so mm-hmm. like I I remember we were shopping for one of her friends, and she wanted to pick up some My Little Pony stuff for her friends. And this was I mean years ago, and she got a couple of them or whatever. And uh, we were walking around Meyer, which is our local grocery store slash like it's like a Walmart, Kroger, that kind of thing. And she picked up one of them and like threw it down. I was like, I go, Lila, I don't know if Pinkie Pie would really appreciate that, that you threw her <laughs> at, you know, Twilight Sparkle. And in my head, I'm like, I'm a brony. Like, how do I know what all these? It's just like, how do I know my little pony? Like, come on now. Because you watched it. Yeah, I watched it with her, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I guess either way. Bluey, awesome. You should watch it. All right. All right, that's going to wrap up this segment. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are doing it sci-fi versus fantasy. See you after the break. All right, we are back, and it is time to delve into science fiction versus fantasy. And we're going to prove that fantasy is better what? than science faction. That's how that's how we're going to do it. No. No, you But not. I felt it appropriate for this conversation to actually bring in a expert on the topic. <laughs> uh, we are having a special guest actually joining us is going to be a, a good friend of ours. His name is Devin. Devin, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, he is going to be our resident expert on the differences between <laughs> <laughs> science fiction and fantasy. Okay, I'm sorry. I know guests probably don't do this normally, but I want to jump in here and just interject yeah. that you brought me here under false pretenses. <laughs> <laughs> number one, I never said I was an expert. I and thought you said you're a doctorate in sci-fi. <laughs> yes, I have a doctorate in sci-fi fantasy. And I also was not going to say fantasy is better, so... Bob, I feel betrayed. Anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we wanted to bring you in here. He's Devin is uh, a good friend of ours. So we just thought it'd be fun to have him in on this conversation. But Natasha, let's get uh-huh. down to the nitty gritty. Yep. You loathe fantasy. I don't loathe it. I just don't like it. Why? Okay. To me, the rules are made up. They can do whatever they want. I don't like magic. For that reason, like, unless you've got some clear defining rules about what's what's allowed and what's not, you know, like Harry Potter, like, like some things are super simple, but it, some things are really hard. It's just like they have all these made up rules. That's what I don't like about fantasy and magic. And you seem to think science fiction does not have made up rules. You know, science fiction has they're made up. Yes, but they're rules. So, like, we know how the uh warp drive works in star trek because they're no, they we had don't. explained it yeah it's made up but it's explained and like they have to follow within those guidelines of those rules right we're like nobody explains how magic works and how you can like you know kill somebody super easy here but not do anything damage over there it's just th- th- there's no set of rules if somebody made up the rules for it and and then followed within those rules i'd, I'd probably wouldn't mind it as much so i'll I was going to jump in here where there are, there are like, again, I was going to say, first of all, defining fantasy and sci-fi seems very, very difficult um, because there is so much crossover. Um, But I would say on the rule thing that a lot of, if we're just going to say authors, like focus on books for a moment and not talk about movies, there are plenty of authors, fantasy authors that spend a lot of time defining what the rules are. So Mm -hmm. setting up their magic, whereas someone like, I think, you know, JK Rowling, I don't think spent a ton of time on that. She was mostly just like, these are wizards and whatnot, and they can do magic, but not necessarily yeah. setting up a rule set about their magic. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, an author like Brandon Sanderson, he spends an incredible amount of time setting up, you know, quote unquote rules. So I, I get what you're saying, though. Like, yes, this is there's some like scientific basis for what you're saying in sci-fi, whereas fantasy is like whole cloth made up, like out of nowhere, <laughs> essentially mm-hmm. more or less. Yeah. So I get well- it, but. It's it's not entirely devoid of someone setting up rules. I guess is uh-huh. what I, I would I would appreciate that, and I haven't read any of his books, so I would be willing to give them a try. You Wait, know? what? You would? Yeah, I would try it. I mean, I don't mind. I'm not against fantasy. I just don't enjoy it. Like I like sci-fi. I like my sci-fi because I like it. I think that this could actually happen in the future. I think the biggest thing about the science fiction rules that you seem to enjoy over like fantasy magic is. Even though they're rules, they're like they're not actually like real. It's not like we'll ever have warp drive. No, but we we but we can pretend that we will. Like so, we can't I pretend like... that we have magic. No, it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. the problem. Is the it's only, dumb. The only problem I have with S- S- Star Trek is the um is the what's it called where you move they 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 take your body all apart in a million pieces and reassemble it. The transporter. The transporter. transporter, That's what I'm thinking of. That's the only thing that, and of course, Q is awful. But um, (laughs) but beyond that, my favorite type of sci-fi is is when 
I feel like this could happen in real life. You know, like I was reading The Martian to my daughter and and she's like, Mom, is this a true story? That's good sci-fi. Because it feels like it's set like we're almost there, right? Right. I, I agree. Like that that to me is like what people would call hard sci-fi. Like the, the Martian is a perfect example of, of hard sci-fi versus soft sci-fi. So hard sci-fi is that. Like he's the author of that whose name escapes me right now. He yeah. had... Oh, right. Yeah. And it's I only saw the movie. I did not read the book or listen to it on audio so the um <laughs> thank you for distinguishing, yeah, distinguishing that for bob so the like he has a very clear set of rules like could some of that happen you know perhaps he did you know a lot of research and you know some things seem to be heading that way will it come out maybe not and i said this word before like that's like you know this sort of speculative fiction that becomes this this might happen and it is plausible. Whereas, like you said, like it's probably not that plausible that we're going to meet Q, you know, or something mm-hmm. like this, like a, a space wizard, you know, or like a Star Wars type thing where you have the Force, which is essentially just magic. Um, yep. You know, when I know lots of people that'll make them angry to hear that, but I mean, it's just people argue about this all the time. You know, go on the internet and complain. But the um, which is perfect to get your point across is yeah. going on the internet and complaining. <laughs> right? Complaining like exactly that. right now. Yeah. So the the you know, I think it's really critical too is all of these sort of subgenres like what type of fantasy are we talking about? What type of sci fi are we talking about? Right? Because there's so much overlap and potential for like what we call magic or something impossible to be in both of those, you know, genres. Sure. Right. Yeah. So and and like sometimes it's easier to accept when it's in the setting of sci-fi. Like there's a lot of technology and it's in the future, whether it's a dystopian future or not. You there might be some you know fantastical element that you like, like Dune, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Like there are parts of Dune that I would say are not possible. Like the like the powers, their mind powers, the ability to like um, molecularly change poison in your body, like that kind of thing is like now you're going into the realm of like of fantasy and and Mm -hmm. stepping away from sci-fi yeah yeah i just like sci-fi i think it's i like to think about the future and what's possible i like time travel just as much going back in time i like putting like today's characters into a different situation you know a different culture different time zone different planet things like that i think those topics are really really interesting that's what i like about sci-fi you can have a preference over fantasy you can say you know what i prefer science fiction over fantasy which is cool like everyone has their preferences but when you're just like yeah fantasy's stupid fantasy i dumb. don't think i said that i mean i'll you go back I'll, yeah I'll go back. I'll, I'll go back and review the review the clip so you said something in those lines but that's the point is like it feels like you're not giving fantasy its fair shot because okay. you're just like that's true you're so like what this old curmudgeon that... about like uh, I don't want like magic stupid. Uh, well, like uh. I'll, I don't and I don't want to seem like I realize Bob brought me here now. Uh, like I said, under false pretenses to to gang up on <laughs> Natasha, but I'm not going to do that. But what I'm going to do is I'll ask <laughs> Natasha something based on our last gaming day. You talked, I think you talked about a book series that you really liked, and it was Di- Diana Gabaldon. I don't know how to say her name, but the Outlander, oh, yeah, books. the Outlander series. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that is straight yes. fantasy it is, and it's fantasy right. in the sense that there's magic there's right time like travel yeah. yeah time travel and it's not time travel through science it's not like she got into like a no. you know particle gender yeah exactly so it like whoop and brought her back in the past i know very little about it so but i was under the impression that that part of it was very fantastical in that sense that like 
the mechanism to get her into the past is magic. And then that, now she's there having adventures and, and whatnot. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's a fantasy book because, yes, there is that mechanism of her getting to the past. And they never actually explain how it works. Yeah. Um, but the book is, is it's just, it's a, it's a historical. It feels like a historical book, you know, romance, all that stuff, adventure. You know, the, the, the way she gets there is like through these magic stones that they don't explain. So, yes, there is some fantasy elements there right. that I choose to ignore because I love the book. That's right. But but it also gets you where you wanted. You just said one of your favorite things is taking sort of I'm this trouble. anachronism thing of having this person out of time. Right now, she's mm-hmm. this, like, because what? She's from, I assume, like in the 40s, 40s. 50s, yeah, 40s, or 20s, yeah. but even, okay, yeah, and then goes back hundreds and hundreds of years and experiences mm-hmm. this thing and is out of, a person out of time. Like, that is a good sort of sci-fi uh, premise but the, the way she got there was fantasy so this is now she's this author is mixing um historical fiction in a way because some of these events happened like i think mm-hmm. the characters are involved in historical events or at least peripherally and i would then consider you have, it a historical fiction book it, even though it right. does have that yeah element of magic in it that's right yeah so it, it does and then also just some of the you know coincidences of family lineage and all of this kind of that happens in these books too so all yeah. i'm saying is you can have light amounts of fantasy in a book and it's it's not terrible. And I would the other example I would give of this is like mythology, right? So mythology is straight up fantasy, right? But like everyone for the most part loves stories about you know Greek heroes, the Greek gods, you know Roman gods to a certain extent, like all of these things that that are are fantastical stories, but are somehow they don't they don't hit the same way because you don't have like a Gandalf wizard casting spells or doing you know Harry Potter stuff. It's just these heroes and gods living in a world, right? That is our mm-hmm. world. So yeah, I think, you know, and there's books. Well, isn't, that, yeah. is, isn't that all just mankind trying to explain the things that are unexplainable to them, you know, yeah. for the most part, you know? Yep. What about, okay, so there's that Stephen King book. It's like that, uh, I can't remember. It's a, the title of the book is a date. It's like 11 something 63 or whatever, but it's when that guy time travels back to stop the Kennedy assassination. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Yeah. Have you I didn't read Natasha, it. have you cool. listened to that book at all? No. no. Yeah. No. Well, like that, I know they t- <laughs> they time tra- they time travel. The dude time travels back, but that is never explained. It just it's a thing that just happens and it's mm-hmm. there. Is that are you cool with that? Like that they never explain the time travel thing or do you want them to explain it? Like the time the book The Time Machine where the dude builds this time machine back in like Michael Crichton book? No, that's Timeline. That's Timeline. H.G. Wells. Yeah. H.G. Like, Wells, yes. Yep. I haven't read that one. Um, I don't you need to it. I don't need an ex- explanation for how how the how the um science works, but just knowing that there are clear and guidelines about how it works. Like I don't need to know the guidelines, but as long as there are guidelines. That you presume are there, right? Yeah. And it's also getting it's a it's a thing that is getting you to the book that you enjoy. So that part is not really. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, but I'm not above like, yeah, magic and and things that happen to, to get it through. But I, I don't know. I guess I just haven't had good luck with with sci-fi books. I'm trying to think of any that I've. I don't know that there's any that I've enjoyed. Because fantasy books, you mean? Yeah, I'm sorry, fantasy books. Yeah, they they tend to be really long, and um, I I like books that are quick and really easy to read and don't require a lot of um like effort and you have to pay attention you know what i mean yeah like heavy fantasy and there's there's a lot of fantasy out there and a lot of sci-fi that fits mm-hmm. that bill 
that you can that go heavy, in. That heavy, heavy. Yeah, I don't yeah. like heavy sci-fi either. Like if yeah. it's a, I've read, I've tried to read some heavy sci-fi and I'm like, oh, I can't even get through this. It's a chug, you know, it's a chore, I guess. So like the Wheel of Time series, like I just, that's just too much, you know? Oh, no, no, that's, that's a perfect example of sort of like a, you know, I, that's like a series that I loved. I, I, I'm old enough that I was reading those books as they were released, like when they first came out, absolutely loved them. And, you know, that's a lot to take on. That's a lot of time, a lot of remembering names and places and all of this. Like, it is overwhelming where you can have people write much tighter uh, stories that just exist within a fantasy world and you can come in and out of it if, as you want. There's lots mm-hmm. and lots of authors and, and books out there that fit that bill that that don't. I mean, like, I, the person that I gave the example before who wrote, wrote the uh, Mistborn and all of that that had the magic. Brandon Sanderson, uh, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, he is one of these people that has these, like, massive, very challenging worlds that, like, he does a ton of world building and it sounds like that to you is, like, absolutely no. Like, it's, no. it's just what I'm hearing. But yeah, exactly. So I would not recommend just because of his magic rules that you go in and be like hey you know what i love rules not the book for you <laughs> so uh, i you know i think like some of the um good sort of like something that i would equate to the outlander series there's an author that writes these books that are set in greek mythology written as though they happened right like it's it's from a character's uh, uh standpoint they're you know experiencing these things as though they really happened there is, you know, fantastical elements of it, but it is a. They're short reads. It's uh, Madeline Miller, and the books are Circe and Song for Achilles. These books are are pure fantasy, given that they are mythology, but then they also are short, tight reads that are absolutely beautifully written, and they are fantasy, and they they don't have any of the other kind of craziness of, um, you know the magic or just these like things that you sounds like you don't don't really care for like i think those would be an excellent way for you to go hey you know what fantasy's not that bad <laughs> so yeah there i yeah. try it i would i would i would give it a i'd give it a try so there's this book that um i'm actually currently reading called lore which is very similar where it, the premise is there's a set of gods that have to come down to earth and become mortal for a short period of time and if you slay one of the gods you end up absorbing their power and becoming the god reborn essentially so it's a it has a lot more fantasy elements in that specifically as well um but it tends to again because it has that greek mythology piece to it it tends to be less fantastical than anything else because it's something we've all grown up on right like we all understand greek mythology we've all like heard it we've all dabbled in you know, some sort of form of Greek mythology. So knowing that and then reading a book like that tends to be a little bit more. I do I do have a question for you, Natasha, because as much as I harp on you about the fantasy sci-fi thing, like everyone has their genres that they prefer over anything else. And I tend, there are certain sci-fi books that I prefer over other ones because they tend to be more realistic. Like Devin was saying, what is it, hard, hard sci-fi? Hard, hard sci-fi, soft sci-fi or- like the Expanse. Have you read any of the Expanse books? I tried to. It was too dark for me. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. The the for me, like what I like the most about that is it it seems the it seems realistic because it's all happening within our solar system. Like we don't have the capability of traveling outside of our solar system. Mm-hmm. So it's something that you could see in you know two hundred years. We could actually be doing this. Yeah. Like we could have people living on Mars. 
And like what Elon Musk had said, it's not necessarily living on Mars is the easy part. It's going to be getting supplies to Mars, which is the hard part. Yeah, I really wanted to like that book. I I enjoyed the world of it and I thought it was really interesting and I liked the science of how they how they would uh live there and you know what it would do to their bodies. I thought it was super interesting. It was just it just got so dark like the world was so like people were just doing awful awful things. I'm like, is this the future? Like is everyone just doing horrible atro- atrocious things to other people and I I couldn't get past that. I want to think about the future in a positive light and that's probably why i like star trek so much like star trek is just this great world where everyone is equal and 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 given a chance and and they do wonder you know they, they give people the um benefit of the doubt and they they make good decisions that benefit the world and that's the world i want to live in and that's why i like star trek you're no, so that's optimistic great. <laughs> yeah no i agree and i i i read the the first as part of a, a book club that i'm in and we read the first book of the expanse series and it was good, but I agree. Like if I don't like dark stuff, like I don't, I don't want to watch shows like murder mystery shows or, you know, true crime or anything like that. That's just not for me like that. Mm -hmm. I want my fantasy to be fantasy and sci-fi to be fun. And there are dark elements and sometimes that's good because it can help drive the story forward and all of that. But if it's not for you and you don't want something like that, bringing you down, why, why bother? There's so many other wonderful things out there that you can consume that are, that fit exactly that bill that you want. Right. And I think mm-hmm. like, uh, I was going to go back to an example of like a uh, fantasy that is, you know, just kind of in the world, like things like, uh, you know, wizard of Oz, right. Is, is straight up fantasy. Mm-hmm. And those books, apparently, you know, people love them. And the not, I'm not just talking about the movie. I'm talking about the books that, that he wrote. Those books are supposed to be fantastic. And then all of the spinoff stuff like wicked, and, you know, all of those stories set in that world that, you know, and everything that came after Wicked, I cannot remember any of them off the top of my head. I listened to many of them on, on uh, audiobook and they were fantastic. And they were set in this, in a fantasy realm that did not seem to be high fantasy, but yeah. still had all these fantastical elements to them. And it wasn't dark and it was, it was just really a, a, a fun story that just had, you know, it's so there's like ways to consume fantasy that aren't these like titans of fantasy writing like the you know the sandersons and and you know even tolkien for that it's my favorite author of all time uh being a fantasy nerd but uh you know there's all of these authors out there that i think you may have dipped into that are like it's too much all at once (laughs) yeah exactly like good god (laughs) slow down like there's a lot of other stuff like what there's a the the night circus there's a fantastic fantasy book that is low fantasy and it's not a dark book and it's just a really well told story right like that mm-hmm. is yep. a wonderful book that is that's 100% fantasy and i think would maybe appeal to someone who's not so much into like the way out there over the top fantasy so, yeah i think i'd yeah. probably like that then have you read off to be a wizard no no it's, it sounds like a fantasy book um but it's actually a sci- science fiction book because this this kid discovers that the world is all based on this computer program and he can like make any changes to this program. It alters like everything, like his bank account, his height, his looks, where he lives, where he is in time and space, everything. So he he gets into some trouble with the law right at the beginning of the book and, and goes, he's like, I'm going to go into the past and live like when wizards are a thing and I'll just be the town wizard. And so he like goes back in time and that's what he's going to do is all this magical stuff. But it's all just a computer program that he manipulates. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he can use the computer program to appear as though he's magic. He's doing magical things, yeah. yeah. Right. 
Yeah, okay, it's really, that sounds really interesting. It's really fun. Like, there's a, quite a few books in the series, and, I, and and they don't get better. Like, I think the first few are the best, but um, but the premise of it is is so interesting. It's a light read. It's quick and and fun, and and got a lot of humor in it. The other thing that I was going to bring up too about sci-fi and fantasy um, are you know what I think a lot of people might think of this as sci-fi, and I want your opinion on it. But things like alternate history fiction. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, steampunk, diesel punk, you know, things like, if you, I don't know if you're familiar with Tales from the Loop or mm-hmm. not. It's a, uh, an alternate uh, history of, I think it's set in like, uh, in Sweden. And again, it's this like, um, it's very beautiful. It, the, the, his art drew me in because his art is very similar to the art that is in Scythe. So, the, mm. you know, um, that he has these sort of. Um, you know, mechs out in this beautiful landscape. Just he's a, a, a this the author, and I can't remember the the paint the author painter that does this. I have to look it up, and maybe you can put it in your show notes or something. But the um, the the look of that is very much like Scythe, and both of these things to me are alternate histories that are sci-fi ish, <laughs> but also have fantastical elements to them. Simply because you know this this could not happen. Right or would not, would not have happened. The, so the try the time tra- or the alternate history part, like uh, oh, having yeah, I mean, alternate history is the t- is the science. Just saying the way fantasy? that that um you know the technologies developed, right? So you have you know steampunk, for instance, right? Like now steam technology has gone well past where it did, right? It didn't change into what we have today. Now you have you know these flying you know airships and and computers that are essentially you know these analog computers that run on steam power and and then diesel punk is the new or newer thing that's more like scythe where now you have diesel power and that's driving these giant mechs and mm-hmm. all of this other technology that's out there like the fantastical weapons that you see the guys holding in the game the board game and all of that in the art so like those things are sci-fi in the sense mm-hmm. that you know there it's technology but a lot of what is there is a fantastical element right so again you have that like crossover of the two genres in this different sort of media right now we're talking about a board game or in this other one it's just a, a picture book that uh i think they base an rpg on it there may even be a video game and there's also an amazon series on that tales from the loop so it's this again fantastical elements that have technological or alternate history technology that has come around so yeah and i i love that stuff all of it i just that's i yeah i love that stuff too i would totally be into that i i would consider it more sci-fi than fantasy you know as long as like there was a scientific progression of that alternate timeline but yeah i love any kind of alternate timeline and the traveling between timelines nah (laughs) i don't like that but everything else. Except, so you don't, well, have you don't you like seen time travel? Um, I love time travel. But um, have you seen um, Everything Everywhere All at Once yet? No, I hear oh it is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's on my so list. It's so good. Yeah, That's a, that has got to be fantasy, right? Although there was a scientific explanation of why they could go in and out of each other's bodies. But So maybe maybe sci-fi, I guess. It really, really good. You guys both need to watch it. So I, weird. I plan to. That's great. Yeah, I think... You know, as I, because I, I did a little bit of just looking at some authors and and whatnot, and like, who do I consider a great sci-fi author, and who do I love as fantasy authors, and you know, there's tons and tons of them. But like, what I learned more and more by looking at other people's uh, thoughts on this is that th- those Venn diagrams of like fantasy and sci-fi and alternate history and all this stuff, like be- these are the most tightly knit 
you know, Venn diagrams ever. I don't think there's a lot of separation, it seems, just because yes. of the way that, you know, it all depends on how you want to define it. And I'm sure this, you know, making some listener, you know, have a conniption, but the, you know, it, to me, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between sci-fi and fantasy. Um, you know, there's lots of fantasy in your sci-fi and there can be lots of sci-fi in your fantasy. So, you know, uh-huh. but the, yeah, I just think you can find somewhere on the, the, the verges of that or on the edges that, that I think you would probably love. Let's go back to the argument of arguments real quick, which is Star Wars being fantasy and not science fiction. Mm-hmm. Is it fantasy because of the Jedi and the Force? Yeah, mostly. That's and, the only and, re- and I don't know how they travel through time or sorry, travel through space. I don't know how that works. It's, it's more or less the same as Star Trek. They have a hyperdrive yeah. instead of a warp drive. Yeah. 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 And they, and yeah. they use space gas. As we've learned, <laughs> as the, we've learned. <laughs> there's yeah. a thing as space gas. I think my opinions probably come from being able to find sci-fi that I enjoy and not being able to find fantasy that I enjoy yet. I think I think it's out there and I think I could find it. You know, because it you know, I like you said, there's tons of different genres within that and you don't have to like them all. Yeah, for sure. And it's it sounds to me, you know, like the you know, if jumping right into fantasy, like I want to read fantasy, so I'm going to read one of the most you know famous. You know, get jumping into something like Game of Thrones, right? Like, there's so many books, it's so dense, it's mm-hmm. really you know parts of it are really dark. So, like that to me is like, well, maybe you don't enjoy that. Like, and I can see why you wouldn't. Or yeah. the Robert Jordan books, you know, Wheel of Time, like those are also really dense, and there's so many of them, and you can't just like dip in and out of that world. Um, so, I think you know, there's there's lots of fantasy that doesn't do that. But I can understand how that may have, could, you know, uh, taint somebody's uh, feelings toward fantasy because they are so dominant in that world or in that genre. So I, I get it. I think the other you brought up a good point. So uh, Devin and I are in are in a book club together where we read science fiction and fantasy. And one of the things I've noticed specifically with fantasy over science fiction is just the sheer amount of content that one book can lead you to. So if you're going to say, all right, I'm going to pick a fantasy book to read, it's like, all right, which book one of which series do I want to recommend in order in order to read? Because very rarely do you come across a fantasy book that's just a single one-off. It always seems like, oh, we're going to be part of a four-book series or a three-book series. And if you find one that's only like two books, you're like, man, I lucked out. Like, there's really only, <laughs> there's only like two books. Like, this is awesome. Whereas I know science fiction, now they'll have series and everything like that, but it seems more common to have just, you know, this is a sci-fi book, here it is, here's what happens, wraps up everything in a single book. Yeah, I think that's true. They're just long and boring. I mean, there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, so I love oh it. Oh my God. So I, I am just seeing like Natasha's strong feelings towards fantasy. It's it's less that I think. It's just, I think yeah. they're, the ones I've tried are just so like such a chore. Like whoa, you know. Yeah, that is that is fair because there's been a couple books that we've read for book club that's just like it just they just drag and drag and drag. There was uh. The King of Elfland's Daughter is a book we read. And when you buy that book, it's it's like 150 pages. If that. It's, yeah. yeah, it's yeah, it's small and tiny. But it reads like it's a thousand. 
<laughs> no, there's no joke. It and you know, you read a chapter. I found myself reading and then saying, "Wait a second. And then going back and rereading the last like few lines because I'm like, this doesn't, this doesn't like quite mesh. And so then like a one, a one chapter which is three pages takes you thirty minutes to read because it's just like so incredibly dense that you're mm-hmm. like, geez, yeah, it's just uh, a bit much. It, it was unique. Um, that book, I that was my pick. Tito <laughs> <laughs> was, yeah. But I I picked this book because it was supposedly this like foundation of fantasy like this book supposedly influenced people like c.s lewis and and uh, tolkien and it gets mentioned in several of the um so dungeons and dragons like throughout i think the only edition that hasn't had sort of a suggested reading section was maybe fourth edition but every other edition seems to have included this king of elfland's daughter book so i was like okay well you know if if i'm gonna enjoy fantasy i should see what kind of some of the influences are and picked it and it was it was a slog it it was is just oddly written and not what i was used to and i mean there are elements to it that i really liked but ugh, not for me but i would like to flip this over and and go after bob is that he is now famous in the book club for selecting <sighs> two of the most loathed books yes, 100%, <laughs> yep, yep. i'm the one so sci-fi we... one fantasy yeah. <laughs> so we have a. Uh... Jana, one of the other people that are, is in the book club, has created uh, like statistics for the book because we rate all the books and everything like that. And there's uh, the grumpiest. We have the grumpiest person and we have the worst book picker person. <laughs> <laughs> and you're both? No, I'm not no. the grumpiest. No, 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 no. But to be fair, I am I am technically, technically the worst book picker, but I barely nudge out Devin for her <laughs> because of that yeah, elf yeah, book. Yeah. yeah the elf book really did me in <laughs> yeah it really brought down your stats yeah my, my sta- yeah exactly so yeah i gotta pick a winner next time yeah yeah so do i but yeah i the first book when uh when we this so we started the book club basically when the pandemic hit and i uh I, I picked up a book at Barnes and Noble and I was like, you know what? I would, it'd be cool to start a book club with, you know, a, my close group of friends. So we ended up saying, you know, we got together and we were like, yeah, let's do it. So I picked the book and it was, uh, I'm going to get to his name wrong. To Sleep in the Sea of Stars. To Sleep in the Sea of Stars. But I'm going to forget the author's name. He oh, did Puddle. like the dragon books, the Aragon and uh, yeah, he did that whole series. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so he did all that, and I was like, okay. So, and he branched into science fiction. I was like, all right, cool. This should be, this should be good, right? Because all those books seem to be all right. Granted, I didn't read them, but they seem to be critically acclaimed as being solid books. Oh man, that book! I mean, think of every possible science fiction trope that you can do, and like the thing is. So it was a male writing a female lead, which I'm not against, but it was almost as generic and uh, stereotypical as you could possibly ever imagine mm-hmm. when it came to that female lead. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, dude, this it was, it was like 800 pages of just brutal reading. It, it, oh yeah, I was gonna say, and that's a perfect example of a book that like. 
presents itself as sci-fi, but then has like, like halfway through, he just gives up and is like, I don't know, here's something I can't explain with science. So it's it's essentially magic. It's kind of gets into the Star Wars thing of like, I don't know, the force, you know, and just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, she ends uh, up like creating like she, the female lead ends up, she, she gets a suit against this like living organism suit gets attached to her. And then she ends up like building the space station and she gives this person like a wooden stick that will grow a piece of fruit every single day. Like it just, it, it just was, yeah. it was, def- it, it was sounds definitely awful. Rude. What do you do it, with those books after you read them? Donate them. You do you yeah. donate them? Yeah. yeah. Let somebody let other people. You only keep the ones that you, you like. Read then. it. What's and that? I, you, you only keep oh. the books you like on your bookshelf there. Yeah. The bookshelf behind me. I, mm-hmm. and a lot of these are going like I, what I also try to do is like, if I really like them, I'll give them to someone like i'll just say hey you should read this and don't give it back to me <laughs> you know and then <laughs> or or pass donate it, on, it or yeah. yeah exactly pass it on to someone if you liked it and i have certain books that i keep like i have you know that i always want to have a copy of lord of the rings and dune and these kind of like books that are like dear to me that i that i just absolutely love and will reread again and again or listen to again and again but yeah in some cases but i uh yeah i i think that um the, I, I've really loved that our that that book club has has really also allowed me to like get influenced by books I normally wouldn't do because I'm of I won't actively seek out sci-fi necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. I have to be kind of pushed into it. Either someone tell me, "No, you would love this book. Please read it." So I'll do that. But I'm definitely more like as a kid, I would only read fantasy. Like sci-fi was was terrible to me. That was the worst thing you could possibly read. What? So it was always that. Yeah, it was always always fantasy. Yeah. I loved it so much more. So, yeah. But then came around like, oh, okay, there's these things are a lot more similar than they are different. So, and there's mm-hmm. great, great and terrible examples of both. Yeah. <laughs> there are terrible examples of both. That is for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. One certainly, I don't believe at all in my heart that that one genre is better than the other. But, you know, I maybe prefer fantasy just from my own, like the way, like sort of skin on something that I want. But, uh, you know, sci-fi has definitely grown grown on me, and I know that there's great stuff out there. Yeah, I'm sure that's true for all genres. I'm sure there's like romance books that you'd probably really enjoy. You know, or yep, for sure. <laughs> I'm sure there is. I don't know <laughs> I mean, that. Yeah, niche. but it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to find books that you like because there's so much garbage. Like there's so many books, and so much of it's garbage. And you like, you know, it's hard to like start something. You know. Yeah, no, agreed. And and try to dive in and just pick something at random is really difficult. And yeah. the internet is is both like it's blessing and a curse because you can go on there and just see someone absolutely loves books, right? Like somebody, there are people that loved that uh, Polini book we were talking about that yeah. Sleep in the Sea of Stars, like mm-hmm. absolutely loved it. And yeah, I'm like, I, I don't, people love that. yeah, love it. I, I'm like, I don't understand how you can like this. Like, yeah. that, again, that's your opinion. I respect it. Go ahead. I'm glad you have something you love. Please uh-huh. continue loving it. I don't need to convince you not to, and I don't need you to convince me to love it, yeah. right? I will just go our separate ways. So, if I yeah. don't get into a book within the first, I mean, I've I've started pages of books and set them down. I'm like, nope, nope. Oh, you're good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm more stubborn. Try to get through them. I don't. Good. I cannot power th- one. I cannot power through a book if I'm not into it. I just do not have the capability of reading it. You know, so I easily put books down. So that helps me get through them and find ones that I like. But oh, good. My like mental neuroses probably doesn't allow me to do that because there's definitely books I've started. I'm like, oh, this is not good, but I'm going to trudge my way through it. And like certain 
there's certain uh, TikTokers that I subscribe to that just do book reviews and stuff. And one person's like, yeah, I read, you know, 200 books a year and this is how I do it. And one of the first things is if you don't like it, you don't have to finish it. Yeah, you do not have to finish this book. Like, yeah. okay, I mean, I guess. But. I've got, I'm like nine tenths of the way done and saw where these endings going and going, nope, done. I'm, <laughs> I'm out. See ya. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, I can't do it. I'll add that I had a lot of fun and thank you for having me as your guest. And I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, Bob doesn't need to have fantasy rule over sci fi and that uh, Natasha <laughs> can find some great <laughs> fantasy to read that isn't uh, garbage or that's hot, you know, hot garbage. Yeah, yeah, I think it is too. Yeah, Devin, that's been a fun conversation. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to our shenanigans. That's our show for this week. Um, please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Bye.